shit guys we got a good one for you from music chops to just plain old shooting the shit this is yet another uh episode of ben brazuela one-on-one exclusive with a brilliant man brilliant man a very funny man looks aren't everything <laughs> uh we're coming at you with our guest conversation much needed badass to the bone appearance of the night with a brilliant man a man both creative and knowledgeable my very own dad brad caro Thanks for having me here. You are welcome, sir. What's that comment about looks? <laughs> I don't know. I, I guess I dug myself into a, a deep hole there. Well, you got my looks, some of mine. Hey, I guess uh, I guess big noses are contagious. No one's ever told me I had a big nose. <laughs> well, I sure have a big nose. I got it from somewhere. I don't know. You know what they say about people with big noses? <laughs> yeah. Large nostrils. Yeah. <laughs> all right, all right, all right, all right, guys. Let's uh, let's get started. All right. So uh, I'd like to introduce the first topic. Um, I'm going to play a little music in the background while we talk about it. So. Uh, Tell uh, tell the audience a little bit about your music background, like where you started on clarinet and uh, stuff like that. Well, um, yeah, when I was in, uh, I got into junior high, right, which was uh, at the time seventh grade, and you had a choice: either you go into the choir or you go into the band. And I didn't want to sing, so <laughs> I I got that from I, somewhere. I knew it. Yeah, and you I missed me doing karaoke with the Filipino family. It was hilarious. I'm, you know, maybe that's a story better kept on. <laughs> I but, didn't break any windows. Anyways, okay. go ahead, sorry. No, but I, I uh, uh, chose band, and at the time I wanted to play flute, but the band only had, the school only had one flute, and they had a just whole mess of clarinets, and the teacher said, no, you're going to play clarinet. And uh, looking back, and he's still around. What's his name? Uh, Ed Biggenhoe. That's that's actually his name? Edward Biggenhoe, and he was my uh, junior high school band director, and he's still alive and kicking. And, Good guy? Uh, yeah, wonderful guy. And, nice. And, uh, you know, one of my mentors, because he played uh, uh, clarinet. So anyway, so that's where I started, and... Uh, and how did how did you break through from like because you you uh, uh, just so the audience knows here where I'd like to start out with the fact that you know you play clarinet sax flute you play you know alto tenor baritone soprano you name it and 
Um, that the uh, versatility, the wind, with wind instruments, the versatility. I always found that very impressive. Oh well, thanks. You know, I, I I'm impressed with the guys that are doing all that better than me and able to play the double winds, the oboes and the uh, you know. Oh, with um, the double uh, English reed. horns, because you know to. You know, to be a working musician, you have to be versatile, and uh, you have to be good at all of them. Right. Uh, I never considered myself a, <clears throat> a master of the instrument. I, I'm just a guy who is a uh, a fan, and and I enjoy playing. And and if I get to play in front of people, it's it's pleasurable for me. But every I, time I see play like you know big band music in front of a crowd of people, like I I always look at like you're usually the best person there. <laughs> 99% well, of the time. Sometimes there's like usually a pretty kick-ass drummer, but... Yeah, well, I'd say you're a little biased. But, you know. <laughs> perhaps. Perhaps. Yeah. Um, but I, I... My first one... Uh, when I was 15, I put a band together, and we... Uh, what was it called? We, I named it The Bogus Bunch. Oh, that's awesome. And it was... Uh, the Bogus Bunch. I didn't even know about this. Um, it was me. We were fifteen at the time. I it was me on clarinet. We had trumpet, trombone, drums, and piano. And we auditioned, and we made it, and got on the Gong Show in nineteen uh, uh, nineteen seventy seven. Oh, and so I actually have a video of that, and it's uh, it's fun to watch. Nineteen seventy seven. Chuck Barris. He took a liking to me. Uh, so explain to us, because I mean, there's going to be some some of the people from the younger generations. What what exactly did uh, he in particular contribute to the industry? Who? Chuck Harris? Uh, yeah. Well, he was a guy that invented, uh, he came up with a lot of game shows like the dating game, the newlywed game, name that tune. Right. And he did the gong show and he was the host uh, of the gong show and that was Chuck Barris. And actually George Clooney uh, played him. Is that right? Was it George Clooney? I don't know. Uh, played him because he wrote a book about being in the CIA and all this kind of stuff and I don't know whether it's to believe it or not but anyway uh, he was a very interesting man and he was very nice to me and my band and we had fun on the show back when I was 15 years old that's really awesome and so how long did you know him up until the like on a personal level who, Chuck Barris? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know him on a personal level. No, I only knew him from, you know, auditioning for him uh, two times and then performing in front of him. And, you know, he he, uh, he 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 put me in a headlock and gave me some noogies because he just <laughs> liked me. I, I made him laugh. I said something that he, he found funny. But other, other than that, it, it, he asked me if I was nervous. And I said, yeah, I'm so nervous I could plot. <laughs> and uh, he found that funny, and, you know. But anyway, no, that was my the my total relationship with uh, Mr. Barris. Look at me now, folks. Brian Butterfield. Saturday is cheat day. It's actually Monday. It's Memorial. No, uh, Labor Day, right? Today is Labor Day. Labor Day. Um, that's it. All right. So, you know, I I also think it's really important that we cover, um, you know, what what it was like, the, the blessings uh, that I was given being raised by you. Uh, part of that is 
Uh, I don't know if anyone's had my dad's cooking, but holy shit, you're missing out. You're missing out. Oh, you're too kind. No, no. Dude, he he literally, he tastes sausage, he makes his own bread, like he's a, where did you learn how to cook like that, if you don't mind? Well, it was necessity at first, because when I was a kid, you know, uh, I had, I was the oldest child, and so there were a lot of times where I had to cook for myself and my sisters, so, Mm -hmm. and I enjoyed it. Uh, so, yeah, I, I never didn't enjoy it. Uh, so, as a young person, that's how it started. And then I was 18, I moved out, and uh, then it was, uh, once again, by necessity. Mm-hmm. So, it's a very creative act, and it's a very... Uh, Do you see it as a release? <clears throat> creative release? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I can completely understand that. Yeah. Uh, and for those who don't know, my dad is, uh, I, and I've, I believe I've previously mentioned this on, on an episode somewhere. Uh, my dad's actually, so it's crazy. He, he was in the music and in, uh, entertainment industry for like 30 plus years and then decided, um, why, why don't you, why don't you t- say what happened? Well, <clears throat> you know, I, uh, yeah, back in, uh, around 1984, I got into the film industry. I, I was, uh, you know, my father worked in the film industry, and I kind of thought, hey, you know, it seemed kind of interesting and exciting. With Back to the Future and stuff like that, right? Well, that was later on, but oh, okay. uh, in 84, I I got hired as a driver for an animation company, and <clears throat> I ended up becoming an apprentice editor and then assistant editor, and it took 11 years from apprentice assistant to finally mm-hmm. become a, a full-on film editor. And uh, so my career lasted about... 30 years and during that time I also got into writing music for for TV and uh, um, and then uh, I just kind of felt like uh, I was burning out uh, I didn't enjoy it I enjoyed the music part but the film editing I was kind of getting getting old for me and going from show to show trying to find a job you know when well, the show what was the straw that broke the camel's back for you uh I, I would just say, you know, at the time I was working from home, mm-hmm. <clears throat> doing all my work at home on the computer, and uh, <clears throat> it was very isolating. I didn't like just being alone all the time. Right. Uh, uh, and I felt that I, I wanted to do something different. I wanted to go back to school. So while I continued to work, I went back to school and got mm-hmm. my, finished my bachelor's and got my master's, and then... Um, Did all, all your... <clears throat> you were basically done with your intern hours by the time you were out of school. Oh, no, not at all. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Not at all. Did you, but you did a lot of them in school, right? No, you can only do 300 when you're you still can, in your I, I thought you were. I thought you had started, oh, did you, when did you start, uh, what year did you start Antioch? So I started my master's program in 2011. Right. And when I graduated in 2013, uh, that's when I became an intern before that I had done a, a few hundred hours of, of traineeship but then I had to do 3,000 hours of internship which took a couple of more years but I continued to work I was doing uh, at the time I was doing some dialogue editing on uh, cartoons for uh, uh, Cartoon Network mm-hmm. um, right so I was working on that stuff and uh, um, then finally about the time that I started earning money as a therapist Oh, by the way, that's what I was doing. I was an intern psychotherapist. Mm-hmm. Um, by the time I uh, uh, started making money doing that, 
<clears throat> I trailed off on the, the, the work trailed off for me in the film industry. And it was a nice kind of like soft handoff. And I, I uh, just went from there and t- finished my hours, got my li- took my boards, got my license. And now I'm a, uh, a, li- I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. Uh, and I, uh, and you like, you're training like EMDR, uh, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy, dialectical behavioral therapy and all that. Well, if you're a therapist, you have to know all that. You have to pass your boards. You have to know about all those. All different, those? I have to know about all of them. But then <laughs> what do I use in my therapy? You know, <laughs> I don't use all of them, but you know, you're supposed to know about them. Yeah. It sucks that you have to. That's yeah. what school's for, though. Yeah, and it's, it's true. It's, it's good to know about them because you don't. You have to figure out which ones work for you, which ones you're, you know, are you're comfortable employing in your in your work as a therapist. So. Do do people nowadays still do um, old fashioned Freudian psychoanalysis? So psychoanalysis does exist. I don't know that they do it in old fashioned Freudian style, but I do know some people that are psychoanalysis. It. I've heard that that process that, psychoanalyst I should say I heard that, I've heard that that process actually can take a lot longer than say cognitive behavioral therapy in most cases am I mistaken yeah, yeah that's why <clears throat> it's not really fashionable these days because of the time involved in in uh, getting getting any kind of results right um, all right, so um, let me go ahead and do 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 bank one. <laughs> We're gonna be right back when we come back. Um, I'm gonna show you something pretty cool. You guys probably didn't know my dad did bragging. Ben of Venezuela, one on one exclusive.
guys. Welcome back. Hey, what did you think of that song? Have you heard that one before? No, I haven't. I liked it a lot. You liked it? Yes. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I, I really liked the groove. I mean, it was fun. It, it was like a spiritual kind of thing. For me, it was like a really great driving up or down the coast with the mm-hmm. top-down kind of music. I could imagine that driving. It was, uh, it was one of those things where I was kind of thinking like... Um, I want to I want to make something that's uh like uh what do you call it upbeat perky but like driven you know what I mean Yeah that's why it 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 had that driving you said the word driven and so for me I it did accomplish that cuz I could imagine myself driving in the car Thank you Um speaking Thank you of, Wait wait we have, we actually have this shit believe it or not What we have this shit. We have it. What are you talking about? Um, hold on. We're gonna laugh. Thank you. <laughs> hey, you know what though? Check this one out. What? Why the chicken cross the road? <laughs> I don't think you can play that. <laughs> oh my! Oh my! Oh my! You know what? You know what I love about about um, and, and and right after uh, I just say this real quick. We're gonna I'm gonna brag and uh, show you guys something uh, that my dad wrote for TV and shit. So, uh, but uh, this uh, I I got together with my last uh, podcast or it was, it was my last podcast guest or the guy before. Yeah, it was well. It was Riley. That's right. It was it was a show with Riley Barrett. If you guys remember that, I don't know who's listening to that, who's not. Um, he does a really good Alex Jones impression. I'm gonna be honest. I'm kind of retarded. <laughs> Why are people mad that they're putting chemicals With in the music in the background? <laughs> All right. Um, next up, uh, they can't hear me just shaking my head. No, no, no. He believe me, he's really exasperated. He's like, man, really? Yeah. He's he's saying it with the movements of his head. Yeah. All right. Um. So uh, the first song. Let's. Uh, what are you gonna play? Which one? I'm going to play. Well. I'm. I want to play the. I'm going to start by playing the Puccini main title. And uh, before I do, would you mind? Let's. Uh, I. I think the audience would really be interested to hear about the process because I remember how tedious it was for you to sync up the music with. The, with. And and it was you put a lot of hard hard fucking work into that. Like you you busted you busted you really tried. And it, this sounded really good, and so I'm excited to show people. But what inspired you f- to achieve that sound? Well, um, the idea was the the okay. So the animation had already been uh, shot for the main title, right? And uh, Puccini, it's it was a okay cartoon. We did 26 half hours. And nobody's seen it because it ended up on some UHF channels briefly and then disappeared. And it may or may not be played in Europe. But Somewhere. I, it's I, playing nowhere pretty much because I'm not seeing any royalties from <laughs> it. But, um, yeah, so uh, let's see. How do I 
how did I I got hired to, to write for that show because Billy West liked my music right <clears throat> so Billy West is the guy that does the voice of like Bender and a lot of characters on Futurama oh yeah and he did the yeah. voices of uh, Stimpy and then eventually he did both Ren and Stimpy and he and I got to know each other um, uh, he was into he's into music a lot and he would come I think he came on a few cases he came to to our house when uh, uh, I had a holiday party and uh, he was there and I had I had a whole 17 piece jazz orchestra we played right in the house you know there. what I remember that <clears throat> so and you Billy know what? in that same room that you, you played in I remember one time I, as a little, little, little kid, I went to go plug a lamp in, but, like, I was little and stupid and young, so I had my hand on the prongs, and I was plugging it in, and it shocked me. I jumped across the entire room and landed on my back. Dude, I was so freaked out. I was like... Wow. Well, you know what? That could explain a few things. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, so... Um, <laughs> what... what uh, he... Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, there you go. So he he, uh, he liked my music. So uh, he was doing the main character on Puccini, and he recommended me. As I recall, that's how it went down. Right. And so they hired a bunch of us composers. They had a, like five of us, and we were cr- they were cranking them out so fast. They needed five composers to to because I had five to do composers. Um, how many? How what was their deadline? And for how many? How many uh, tracks? How many cues? Oh well, when you have a six or when you have a seven-minute cartoon, right. because typically uh, a half hour consists of three seven-minute cartoons or two eleven-minute cartoons, and the rest are commercials. So I was working in a sh- this show was six-minute cartoons, and out of you know I didn't do the majority of the uh, uh, episodes. Uh, what I did was I did a handful of the episodes, and I did the main title, and I did the end credits. And that was it. And then I kind of dropped off because they were paying me. I was breaking even on the project. Right. Because I was, of all the composers, I was the only one who was hiring actual musicians mm. to record the brass oh, parts doing... and the violins and such. And they were they were doing everything in the computer. So <laughs> <Okay>. their <clears throat> music didn't sound like mine. Yeah. Uh, and they were making a profit and I wasn't. But to me at the time, it was more important for me to put out good product uh, because it was really my career, and I knew mm-hmm. that this is going to be on my demo, and I want to be proud of it. So I was spending the money and not making a profit. Right. Uh, when my uh, film editing job ended at Nickelodeon because uh, the show ended and I got laid off. Look me square in the eyes and tell me you love me. Get <laughs> <laughs> on. So I just, uh, uh, at that point, I needed a gig. And so I dropped off from Puccini. But anyway, bottom line is, that's how I got the job, and that was what I did on the show. The main title was hard because the uh, animation was already drawn. Uh, they wrote the lyrics they wanted, but right. they didn't have a melody to go for those lyrics. All they had were words. So I had to turn the I lyrics see. into a melody, uh-huh. and then also I had to take the difference between... Uh, the story of the dog is that the dog is living with a very rich woman in a big mansion. Right. The the lady kicks over dead, and the dog ends up in the pound and gets adopted by, like, the ugly Ameri- American family. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. So the beginning music, because she's a rich lady, I said, okay, let's do some classical music. And then when they get 
she, when the dog gets adopted by the uh, uh, the family, will turn into the more of a, a goofy sitcommy kind of swinging right. kind of more thing. Uh, and uh, so goofy. Yeah, yeah. So that's what I did, and there you go. So yeah. that's the whole story. I think I told too much, but no, go ahead. That's okay. All, All right. right. All right. Let's hear it. Once in the lap of luxury, there lived a dog named Puccini. When his master bit the dust, he lost his upper crust. Moved by his dismay, Puccini ran away. He wound up in the pound, where he was soon found. Now he's got a new family, they're not rich but they're happy. His eyebrows live with no lies, Puccini. <laughs> That's insane. That's how long did that take you to compose? Oh, it didn't take long to write. It was more in the arranging uh, and getting. It was more in the actual laying down the tracks, right? Yeah, the laying studio. it down one by one. I mean, right. I I played all the sax parts. I had a trumpet player come in and play all the trumpet parts. Trombone mm-hmm. player, <clears throat> you know, and uh, yeah, it was uh, time consuming. You know, and uh, I think one of the, one of the things that that blows my mind every time I think about it is that you wrote you wrote you composed the pilot song intro song for Spongebob yeah well you know <clears throat> you know I was working as a film editor at Nickelodeon uh, in 95 to 2000 right and Steve Hillenberg the creator of Spongebob and I had worked together before that on uh, <clears throat> Rocco's Modern Life. I was the, one of the. Fil- I was a film editor, and he was one of my directors. I'd like to know that, that was one of my favorite shows as a kid. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So anyway, he came up with SpongeBob, and I ended up editing the pilot. And during that time, he were you close with Steve? We were. Yeah, we were on friendly basis. You know, I I wasn't hanging out at his house, but we were on a friendly basis, and we. Enjoyed what was he like as a person? He was like the sweetest. He was just like the sweetest, like. You know, Californian dude. He's a surfer. You know, oh, interesting. He was, he was really laid back. You do, know? do you remember <clears throat> something funny? Something funny. I don't know. Something no, funny. I have, I can tell you something interesting. Yeah, no, all right. No, he he. Uh, no, he's uh, he actually came up with SpongeBob. Uh, he drew SpongeBob on a napkin when he was at lunch. And that's how it how it began. But see, he had a degree in marine biology, and he used to teach kids marine biology. Whoa, so that's, that's background. Where the, I, yeah, that's background. I didn't know exactly. So I was working, and when the pilot for SpongeBob came down, he and I were sitting in the room together working on the editing of it. And he said, "Hey, would you? I I know you're a musician because you know he'd known me known me for a few years already. Right, right. And so he said, "We have a character on SpongeBob." Uh, named Squidward and he plays clarinet and I know you play clarinet so would you like to record some clarinet and I said sure so uh, that's where that started and then he said by the way for this episode we need like a main title kind of theme uh, like an action theme and you know you want to give a take a shot at it and I guess he had other people taking a shot at it or whatever and uh, uh, so I wrote something and uh, did it on a computer. Now, back then we didn't have. We're talking about in the in the late nineties. So, right. you know, MIDI was not where it is now. And so, what I gave him was a, a MIDI version of 
the arrangement and he listened to it and he was like, I just, I don't get it. It sounds like an accordion to me, you know, because right. it didn't, it's the you, MIDI. it was MIDI. It didn't yeah. sound right. Uh, so I said, all right, so I'm going to go ahead and record it with real instruments and then you come back and listen. So I laid it down in the studio with the uh, trumpet, trombone, mm-hmm. actual drummer. Got they, everyone together. Got all the musicians one by one, laid down their tracks. And then he came in, he listened to it, and then he said, okay, play it one more time. And I did. And he said, yep, that's it. And what I found out later was, uh, and so this became the the main, the SpongeBob main title action theme for the pilot. And Steve actually I later on found out wanted it to be the uh the main title for the series and I didn't know that he was uh championing that to happen it's really but, amazing but you know the network wanted something that told a backstory and had lyrics and so they went with what they went with which right. is uh essentially the 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 main title for SpongeBob is an old sea shanty called blow the man down uh and they just changed lyrics so it was a it was a it was a wow. public domain song that they just added their own lyrics to it. But anyway, so yeah, so I, I, I you know, and if they had used my song, I probably wouldn't have to work for a living anymore. I know, but, you know, Jesus. hey, hey, it's I'm happy that I still continue to be involved with SpongeBob and and that I continue to get to play clarinet for Squidward and on occasion write a piece of music that they use on the show. So what you're going to hear now is the first piece of music that I wrote for SpongeBob that was used on the pilot that is uh, not used in any of the regular episodes. It's pretty amazing actually. He put so much together to get this uh, set up. Uh, Here we go. Fucking believable. You know what? Thanks. You earned this. All you. Uh. <laughs> People of Earth. Wait, oh, wait, wait, sorry. wait. Now, now you're speaking to the crowd. People of Earth. You bore them. They they stopped. Soylent Green is people. <laughs> oh. oh. Soylent Green. Don't eat the purple acid. The brown acid is bad. Whatever. All right. Moving right along. Moving all right along. Lucky so, thing I didn't stay in comedy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. You were a stand-up comedian. That's another no, thing. No, I was not. Yeah, I was you just, say. I never was uh, a real. No. Yeah, real. What does that mean? It means I never did it for a living. Yeah, yeah. You still did it. <laughs> well, I yeah. tried. <laughs> all right. Well, um, I'm going to ask my dad this big question that kind of dun dun yeah yeah. oh I don't you don't have dun dun no No. whatever (laughs) I'll just do it dun 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 there you go that's close that's (laughs) doesn't quite set the tamed tone alright um so uh real quick I I do need to plug uh my website and twitter and stuff uh, 
So it's uh, benandbrizuela.online. That's B-E-N-A-N-D-B-R-I-Z-U-E-L-A.online. And we are also on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, I'd like to promote my buddy's con- my buddy con- my buddy concept who I performed with once. A really nice guy, and we've ever since uh, been close business partners. And Ove's Records, who also I am affiliated with uh, creatively. Um, and uh, I'm gonna recap on the info. So basically, my dad's a badass. <laughs> Long story short. Um, so. Let, I have a so that means you are son of badass. Son <laughs> of that, badass. I like that. You should record that. Madness! <laughs> shut up and listen to this song. Hey, you uh, shut up, you are. Right. Trust us. We invented electricity. All right. So uh, next up, I, I want to ask... Uh, I want to ask you about, um, so what did your grandparents do for a living? Like, I, mean, I, I don't think I've ever asked you that. What What did, I know there was a police officer in our family, and he, I, so my grandparents? Yeah. Well, like, what did they do? Uh, they died. Well, oh, yeah. <laughs> you mean before they died? They, um, on, but which, on which side? Okay, so. Any side, I don't fuck. Uh. My great-grandfather, I know, on my mom's side, uh, was a cop in South Philly. Oh, snap. You didn't know? No, you didn't know? I didn't know. Uh, that was, but he, that must have been back in the 1930s, I'd imagine. Oh, wow. You know, back when, uh, you know, he was probably, you know, on the take, and they were, like, beating guys up with a rubber hose <laughs> in the back room to get confessions. Jesus. It was a rough time back then. For right. The cops could do it, you know, and... Uh, but anyway, my grandfather, his, so my grandfather, Lou, Poppy Lou, I would call him. There was Poppy Lou and Poppy Sid, right? Right. So my mom's dad mm-hmm. uh, worked for Abbey Rents, and he would deliver, you know, people would would get from Abbey Rents rental things such as tables and chairs for a party. Oh, okay. Uh, oxygen tanks, uh, helium tanks. Uh, <laughs> um, I'm not sure why the oxygen... But anyway, he would <laughs> d- deliver all kinds of stuff like that, and that's what he did. And uh, my other grandfather, my dad's dad, right. was a jeweler. A jeweler. In the uh, uh, jewelry industry right, uh, downtown L.A. Right. And that's what I know about that. And then, um, so... Uh, Nana, Janet, um, what is she from what you know about her career history? I know she career history. Yeah. My mom has no career history. She (laughs) was a housewife because that's back then. Right. Back in the 60s. That's what, you know, uh, a lot of women did. And it was normal. And that was part of society. It was completely normal. Yeah. Yeah. And even. People who choose to do that today, that's fine. You know, I mean, there's shouldn't be any... It's any, a luxury, if you ask me. Well, no, because it, if there's children, there's a lot of work involved. Well, yes, that's true. You know, I mean, Mom, when I think about what you and uh, with our family went through, me Mom and, and I had... Yeah, we had to work because we had to... I still got to get him here. We had to do a... Uh, we had to uh, make a certain amount of money to to meet our, our you know, our debts and... Uh, you know, uh, child care is very expensive. It's ridiculous. Completely you know, ridiculous. So, you know, if a, if, a, if a housewife is at home and there's children, you're saving, you know, 
over a thousand dollars a month in in child care right there and that's mm-hmm. that's hard you know having children running around and still keeping a house in order and and being a good parent and all that yeah so i i think that there's uh those people that are able to be home and be a, a housewife or a house husband it's a great opportunity actually to to have a close relationship with children if they're there uh, yeah the 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 uh the presence of the parent being being there yeah um and uh so i i do want to cover this briefly so uh, we never talked about it yet but the back to the future um thing uh, explain oh, that oh i'm so lucy all right so i worked uh my first film job was at dic uh, which was an animation Deke. company, Deke. Uh, yeah, it stood for. Oh uh, snap! You didn't. Yeah, no, I didn't. And uh, <laughs> it was uh, uh, a French-owned company at the t- partly French-owned company, and it was at the er, beginning parts. They, they, I don't know if they still. There was a big building in 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 the media center downtown and DIC on it. Oh, in LA. Uh, in Burbank. Oh, okay. Uh, but anyway, uh, I worked for them, and then uh, TV season ended, got laid off, and I went to... Uh, oh, my father mm-hmm. was one of the sound effects editors on Back to the Future, the first Back to the Future movie. And uh, uh, it just so happened that after I got laid off, they needed a apprentice editor to come in uh, for the last month of post-production. So my dad got me the gig, and essentially all I was doing was picking up reels of film and delivering them and taking them back and forth between the uh, uh, mixing stage and the editors. Uh, And that's all I did, and I worked seven days a week because they were in a rush. They wanted to get back to the future out in the theaters uh, for the 4th of July weekend, which was sooner than their initial uh, uh, Anticipate, right. So, uh, uh, So I was working seven days a week. It was a union gig. Uh, even as an apprentice editor, I was making big bucks. Right. And, uh, and you know, that's really all I had to do with it. But I'll tell you, so I was an apprentice sound effects editor on that movie, and it eventually did win the, 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 the Academy Award for Best Sound Effects. And, and I tell everyone that if it wasn't for the way I carried those reels back and forth between the editors and the mixing stage, it never would have won an Academy Award. It's pretty badass. Thank my, da- you. my dad has yeah, yeah. My dad has a freaking uh, account. Like that's crazy. I oh, do- that sure sounds good. No, I don't have an Academy Award. <laughs> no, I, but you, I worked on a show. You know, I worked on that movie. That's all. For <laughs> a month, I just drove something back and forth. It really, you know, if you if you can have a California license and you can lift ten pounds, you could have done what I did. Yeah. So, what, what, would you say that was PA work? No, I was an apprentice editor. That's what apprentices did. You did all the crap stuff oh, that the shit. assistant editors didn't even <laughs> want to do. So oh, no. you'd get the edit. You'd get lunch for the editors. You do. I mean, get them coffee. Th- and there was stuff and shit. Well, yeah, and sometimes you would interact with film and and you'd uh, you know do some splicing and stuff. But for the most, it was thirty five millimeter film. We weren't talking digital. This is way before digital. So you know you were carrying reels of film you were sometimes doing some splicing but rarely it was mostly just rewinding and and uh what's that machine over there called moviola yeah so i have a moviola here where we are recording at this moment and it's a big green machine and it's if you look up moviola 
Uh, you'll see what it looks like. It's, it's M O V I O L A. Yep, and it's uh, what was used to edit movies uh, and TV. Uh, shot on film. Thirty. You know, this is thirty-five millimeter, but you know they have them in sixteen. But thirty-five is the standard size. And uh, and you uh, have that slugger machine. Yeah, well, that's don't. Uh, next to it, I have just an editing bench with all the gear from when I was working as an editor before it went digital. You know, I I did work digitally as an editor later on, but you know, there's something about actually handling film and cutting and splicing that I found. It, I there's uh, I enjoyed it more. Yeah, and and you, it was therapeutic for you in a way. I guess I just thought. Uh, so uh, what I. A topic that I I have to cover, absolutely have to cover, is uh, and I do this with all my guests. This will be our last topic. Um, all right. Uh, what would you say your optimal peace environment is? And then after this, we're gonna play another original, and then uh, and then tune out. Okay. My optimal what environment? Peace environment, an environment that you find yourself most at peace. I suppose. Ah. Uh, okay. Um, well, eh, there's, there are certain moments that, uh, I, I, I would have to say, I, 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 I do some, I wouldn't call it meditation, but I, uh, I listen to certain types of music and allow myself to get. I use music mm-hmm. to get into that peaceful place. And I'll, I'll. I know when I'm stressed out, I do the same thing. Yeah, and I'll. I will lay back and listen to something and try to just uh, allow visualization to happen, so that I can actually create images in my brain uh, to match with what I'm listening to uh, in the headphones. And um, it takes me out of my own head, which is usually the reason I need to find peace. Mm-hmm. So that's that would be it for me doing, you know, doing that, and I can do that anywhere as long as I'm not driving. <laughs> you won't. They can't go too far like that. No. <laughs> for me, <clears throat> pardon me. For me, I, I'd say uh, my peace environment involves incense, um, ambient spa music, as cheesy as that sounds, and uh, I I really like ambient red lighting. Like, like in a dark room, like like not red, but not yellow, like in between, and kind of dim, like a warm. Oh yeah, warm colors are, are great. Yeah, yeah, I've heard I've heard that the uh, the close the warmer the color that it's better for your sleeping or something like that. Well, I try to sleep in the dark. I, I don't like any colors. <laughs> red. <laughs> if you're seeing colors and it's dark, you should go to the doctor because then something's going on there. Or go to detox. <laughs> well, I don't know. You tell me. Yeah. Well, all right. So uh, I think this has been one of the most uh, amazing interviews, mainly because it's personal to me, and I'm able to uh, feel... Connected enough to to like cruise through this with you, and I appreciate you being on the podcast. Well, thanks, Ben. I, I really appreciate you having me on, and um, it was a pleasure. And uh, yeah, thanks so much. Absolutely. And uh, real quick, 
I'd like to thank uh, my guest, Brad Carroll, my dad, my badass dad, my dadass dad. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I, I, this is, what is this, ASMR? <laughs> yeah, this is a heartbeat, guys, just so you know. We're, we're imitating a heartbeat. <laughs> All right. All right, so uh, I, I always do a call to action uh, for uh, self-care. Um, I always encourage self-care at the end of my episodes to the listeners. I think it's very important. It's something that I take, I've been taking very seriously and that has, you know, helped me out a lot. Um, and being that, you know, my dad's a therapist, <laughs> it's, uh, it's conveniently accessible knowledge, which has come to my advantage, and I'm very thankful for that. Um, so, uh, basically, just be creative and joyful at home using art and music. The benefits are literally fucking endless. I mean, it's, it's... It can take you out of a dark place. It can bring you into laughter. It can bring you into tears. Music is is really something that can connect people and bring people together and help you process things on your own when you're not with people. All right, I'd like to shout out my family, all the hard workers at Public Works dealing with this bullshit right now, and Ove's Records and my buddy and accent producer, Concept. All right, I'm going to quote this poem. Something I put together is like this. At peace, best it gets chaos around me. The world is well, the human's sick. High hopes ahead, stimulus package somewhat promising. Come fall, we hope falls the virus. A strong future ahead, but perhaps a rough pathway there. Eventually, change will come, and I quote. This too shall pass. All right, all right. I'd like to thank my family and the Brazuelas and the listeners. And here's what's next. We now have a... My dad's grossed out by my pet snake, but I, <laughs> that's my new... Uh, that's our new, um, uh, I guess, mascot. Ven... Ven... The retic. Yeah, don't be bringing that thing over here. Yeah. I don't want to see that thing crawling around <laughs> All right, all right. We got to wrap this up. So for sure, more to come later on. Um, guess what? Yeah, you. Stay tuned. That's all I got for you folks. Thanks again. Good night.